Before we start this episode, I thought I'd tell you that I've got a new book out. Yes, another one. This one is to help coaches supercharge their coaching capability through reflective journaling. Coaching Journal, a guide and journal, walks you through the process by, well, providing you with a guide and some structured reflective models. So pop over to Amazon and get this quick, practical and insightful book today to start your journey towards a more successful professional practice. What would you put in your backpack if you had a new coaching engagement but could only take a limited number of items? Each week, the Coach's Backpack looks at the multifaceted world of coaching and asks a new guest to tell us what they would take with them and why. Hi, I'm David Lowe, and this week, we're taking a peek inside the backpack of Amarinato from Playful Monk. Welcome, Amarinato. Hi, yeah, hi, David. It's lovely to be with you today. Well, and I'm so excited to have you on. I can't wait to hear what you're going to choose and put in your backpack. But before we get started, I've got the first challenge, which is, could you describe what you do in under 20 words? Okay, so I help coaches through supervision, stay calm and connected in complex situations. Mm. Ooh. Mm, okay. <laughs> right, well, we'll dig more into this as we go through with your choices for your backpack. So here's the deal. You've been asked to coach a new client, but you're limited to what you can take with you. So don't worry, you've got your essentials, you've got your clothes and your toothbrush. And in addition to those, you can take one book, one tool, technique, concept, method, approach, whatever you want to call it, one other item of your choice, plus a person from the past or the present to accompany you. So, Emma, what and whom would you take with you and why? I wouldn't take a book about coaching supervision. What I would take is my chanting book. It was a book that I got when I ordained as a Buddhist monk. Sometimes we think about chanting or religious things as like very fixed. But the way that I learned about chanting was about reflection, was about trying to use these words to understand yourself better. So it wasn't just a sort of a dogma or something. It was about using these words to find out who I was and what the words really meant. And the words that I chanted as a Buddhist monk were all about the human condition. They were all about impermanence, about change, about understanding self, about using suffering, using what you've got. And then also joy, the, the joy of celebrating other people, compassion, equanimity, kindness. Although it was chanted in a foreign language, which, which can help. It was in the Pali language. My, my name, Amranato, is a, from an ancient Indian language called Pali. And I found that, you know, this is a link to supervision because supervision is a reflective and collaborative process. It's a, a learning together. Coaching is more about a goal and supporting coaches, executive coaches, leadership coaches is this journey that you go on and you reflect together over your words, over, over what's gone on. And this skill that I learned through, through chanting, yeah, and my meditation and contemplative life, it comes with me. What set of clothes am I wearing now? Okay, so I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt and whatever. You know, and as a monk, I wore robes and a different set of clothes. But the, this, this training, this way of being, this way of seeing life has been really helpful. And, you know, chanting is about expression. The first time I learned about chanting, I had to hear my own voice. It's quite a thing. You know, now I'm used to podcasts and speaking in public now. But the first time I spoke out was like, ah, that my voice kind of kind of amazing you have to lead sometimes to chanting when you stay in the community so then you're in charge you know and where does that 
voice come from in yourself? You know, how do you hold a group of people through your voice and expression and all these things? So there's a lot to lot. So when I hold that book and, and I still chant some of the words because they mean a lot to me. And the other thing about chanting in a foreign language is that's also a really great way of um, also going quiet in the mind because you don't you don't think about the words too much. You just think about the tone and the sensation of it all. And that brings you into your body and your body brings you into the present moment. And, and that's, a, that's a wonderful gift, you know, a gift for yourself and a gift for other people. And uh, that's part of the, the coaching supervision is how, how are you with other people? How are you with yourself? And how do you meet others? Hmm. So I'm finding it quite difficult to imagine what this is like from the chanting book. Yeah. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here, but could you demo it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. See the quality of the space. So it says all things are impermanent and in their changing there is peace. I love that. I See, immediately, where does that lead you? So one, I can think on a cognitive level, I can think on an emotional level, and then I can think on the level of just that. And there's an archetypal quality to that, which is that, you know, these words have been repeated for centuries, you know, they're very, very old. And so that it sort of connects you back, all those generations of monks and monastics and Buddhist people saying those words. Mm. Yeah. And now I'm assuming that you don't need the book anymore, right? It's all in your head. So, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how long were you in the monastery? It was a monastery, right? Yeah, monastery. Yeah, monastery. So I lived in a monastery in England for 10 years and I did five years as a freelance monk. So I traveled around the world. I created my own brand. That's actually where Playful Monk started. And um, and yeah, I ended up in Australia for a long while, for the last two or three years. Yeah. Right. And that's where I stopped being a monk as well. Yeah. Does one stop being a monk? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> in, in outside appearance and maybe in terms of rules and regulations, but in terms of inner mindset, that's a playful monk. The, the, the mindset of a monk, the growth mm. mindset, the agility mindset, that's not really changed that much. So yes and no. You know, mm. I don't follow the monastic rules. You know, they're, they're, they're quite strict. I had very strict rules like no money, no singing, no dancing, no sex. You know, very tough. Some would say tough rules. Actually, I didn't find them that tough. But, you know, on from an external point of view, they seem tough. I found them very liberating. But, uh, you know, I decided I wanted a different life and move on from that as well and experience what outside of that framework uh, I and you don't need that, you know, I don't bring this, all these things into my coaching so much. They're just part of who I am now, you know, and part of the way that I relate to people. So that's why I had to use the brand Playful Monk, really, because it, it, it needed both parts. You know, it needed the play, which is about, you know, creativity and embodiment and all that, and the, the monk part, that I could bring all of myself into the world. Uh, I can't deny that how can you if you spend over a quarter of your life doing something you know it's not to get caught back in that you know when I support a lot of people that transition from one world to the next 
you know, from one job to to retirement or from one job to completely other job. You know, I get I get what that's like. You know, because that's what I've done. You know, I've done it a few times, in fact. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think my kids would quite allow me to be a monk in, in as much as no dancing. <laughs> Go on, Daddy, be a monk, be a monk. So I've got a burning question. It sounded quite musical, the chant, and I know you said there's no music. Yes. And I, and I just keep thinking back to a choir person, choir leader, I don't know what they're called, can pick out somebody who's off-key. And I'm wondering if there's an equivalent of when you first started your chanting, did somebody say, hey, you're out of key or you're not saying the right words? Actually, it's very it's a very interesting cultural question, which is when when the, this tradition that I was in was the forest tradition from Thailand. And when they brought it over to England, what they decided to do was to keep the chanting monotone. So actually, although I, I chanted it, I didn't sing it. And that's really that's quite different now that over the years actually it changed in the monastery actually people wanted a bit more of the devotional side because it can be very uplifting and a lot of uh, christian monastics they they actually have voice teachers to teach them how to sing because it's so uh, melodic and singing so in the in the in the Buddha, in the tradition i was in it was very monotone and when you learn to if you let the um, chant resonate with your body the words themselves will hold the tune so Amranato has an O at the end. If you do O's, it's a very open sound. You do consonants, T, D, it's very cut off. So the words themselves hold it. In fact, in Islam, interestingly enough, when you see the words, the way they're written, they're written in the way to sing. So when you look at, so actually there's a, it's, it's recorded in the, in the letters. So you can be off, of course you can be a bit, you know, flat in it, but you can also learn how to use your body. Yeah. So actually, I in the monastery, I ran creative retreats. I brought in a singing teacher. I bring actually brought in dance as well uh, as part of all of that because I felt that that was really important. That was being flexible with the rules. Yeah. Well, if you want any more dancing tuition, just let me know, right? You've got my number. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your moves. <laughs> <laughs> They don't come with a glowing recommendation for my kids either. <laughs> okay, so that's an awesome book to take in your backpack. And what else are you going to put in this backpack? I guess the, the question is, well, you know, what tool would I bring? Yeah, and actually I would, uh, of course, bring the playful monk approach. When I was a monk, my events were very successful and they... Um, people said, so what did you do? And actually I didn't think about it that much. So over the years... Uh, to start thinking so when I when I started off there was the first thing the playful monk approach is co-explore yeah that we need to explore together to to be together to be in a relationship and the second one was play right so play is about being embodied play is about full attention when you watch your kids dancing actually my guess is that they got full attention of what they're doing right they don't worry too much as we do about whether the moves are good or whatever they just do it and that's fun actually and it's embodied and, it, and attention. And then when you bring explore and play together, you need kindness, you need love. Love is courage. Yeah, and, and then as I, as I moved away from the monk business and I went into executive coaching and then leadership coaching, I thought I, there was a few other elements I needed to make more explicit. And that was presence, 
which is your ability to be with any in any situation yeah and then connection and that and connection is where you get impact so that's inner connection so the outer connection and what i recognized in the coaching supervision is you need all those aspects it's the same thing coaching supervision is about a relationship it's about being embodied with your clients it's about being courageous you need to love yourself you need to be totally present with the other person and you need connection connection is in the context of supervision is actually the systemic element which is do you see the whole system as well do you see what's affecting your coaching your internal coaching situation right and in order to know about those connections the interdependency of it all you have to be aware and that awareness for me comes inwards so that that's that's what i that's the tool that i bring to what i do yeah it's not a it's not so much conscious anymore i'm not talking about five steps or i'm, I'm talking about it as five parts of a one one thing really which is now this moment mm. lovely yeah so and, and and when i think about when i think about that situation you know you say well who would you bring so it's a really interesting question because you think all these people in the past who could who could i bring you know and i think would i like to bring an enlightened person or would i like to bring the historical buddha or some you know great leader you know actually i've met a lot of these you know i've met a lot of these people already you know i met i've met very wealthy people i've met very poor people i've met very learned people you know the privilege of being a monk is you meet meet really wonderful people but when i really thought about it and i thought about particularly coaching supervision i thought i'd bring my partner now i'm not going to discuss about my partner because i keep that separate right but what i do want to say is that having a relationship outside of work outside of even supervision but somebody that knows you really well is super powerful of course you know of course i was a monk so i was celibate so no relationship i worked with nuns i lived in a mixed community but um but the the element of relationship deep intimate personal ongoing important ongoing yeah i found incredibly helpful and um and that, that's also part of supervision is that you know where are you getting your support from not just from me as a as a coaching supervisor but also outside of your work your your hobbies or any you know and and partnership can be a really you know um fantastic way it can also be incredibly painful and tricky and you might need to uh, <laughs> uh, counseling you know but um uh, i've i found it really super helpful for this to see all aspects of myself and that there's a certain honesty in that you know and if you're willing to embrace that honesty and see all parts of it for me it, i can only see it makes you a better person even if it's pretty difficult sometimes yeah yeah, it's an amazing thing. So when he just said about not bringing personal factors into it, well, by the time this goes out, yeah. I will have been with my wife for 25 years. Only 15 married. I took 10 years to propose. We won't go into that. Don't, don't remind her about that. It took <laughs> me 10 years to propose. So yes, 25 years and having that relationship where there's rarely an argument about stuff. It's an amazing amount of support that one person can give. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah really is beautiful to have that type of uh, allow that intimacy into one's life and learn from it over that period of time yeah 
I mean, I'm not sure she'd say the same. She might just say it's been 25 years of gruelling agony. Okay, so we've still got one special item that you can also take with you. Ah, yes. So I I thought about, you know, like I've done so many journeys. I I, I hitchhiked around the world for four years, lived out of a rucksack. And um, so I've done a lot of travelling. And then I've also been alone a lot. You know, I've done loads of... uh, meditation retreats for months on end with meeting nobody and not having much around me and so when I actually thought about it I thought actually there's not much else I really need I don't need to bring anything else with me right and then I thought what's interesting about you know meeting different people in different situations is that um is you you know you've got your own experiences but research is really can be really helpful as well in informing what you do. So actually, bizarrely, I would take a mobile phone with internet connection so that I could research about, you know, whatever a theme might come up that I don't totally know about and and that I could look into and be informed about it. Because I think it goes together, your own intuitive knowledge, yeah, and what what you think about, you know, how you reflect on a situation. But also you want to be informed, you want to know you know, what do other people think about that situation? Even if a lot of the research is, you know, um, not brilliant, it still gives you perspective. It still gives you another way of thinking. So that, that, that's what I would do. But it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be essential. Like when I stopped being a monk, you know, I was in the Australian outback and I was in, um, actually I was in a truck for that, for that retreat. So I was given a use of a camper van uh, with everything in it. I mean, solar panels and all that stuff. It was very hot, but... I hardly had anything with me, really. There's so much here already. You know, life provides so much. You know, just even sitting in my garden this morning, just looking at it, thinking, wow, look at all this. There's flowers and bees and the cats in the, you know, it's just, it's there when you open your eyes and look as well, you know. And that, that, that looking is, a, is the thing to take with, that curiosity, that playfulness, really. Yeah, that's what I would... That's what I would bring. So maybe, uh, why don't we just pause then and just you have a look at your environment and see what's really there for you. You know, maybe just find one item and just really look at it. Just notice how it impacts you. It's interesting, isn't it? When one looks at just an object and what one can see just by this, just a moment of pause. We all live such busy lives. And just that willingness just to take a breath, see what's available, might be surprised. Beautiful. Unfortunately, we don't have any more time to take more breaths because we need to move on. I also feel that you've had a bit of an advantage over everybody else who's been on this podcast yeah. because you've lived out of a backpack for so long and now I'm asking you what you'd put in a backpack. <laughs> Seems a little bit unfair. There's one thing I know that I wouldn't put in a backpack. Ah, well, this is my next question. What is it that you would want to make sure is not in your backpack? Yeah, so this is kind of also a bit a slightly bizarre answer, but it, uh, but it really is true for me. And that is I would check that there was no mould in the, in the backpack. Ugh. And the reason for that is that I got really seriously ill uh, through mold, through black mold poisoning. And I nearly, I came close to not, yeah, to dying, I suppose. And uh, really seriously affects my uh, mental well-being, 
my body and everything. I've had, I unfortunately got it twice, but the first time it really, it really knocked me. And um, so actually I am really careful and I really do check my backpacks uh, for that uh, because uh, mold is a neurotoxin. So it means that it goes, if you breathe it in, it goes straight into your brain and affects you and can affect your cognitive functions. Um, particularly black mold. That's the sort of thing that you get in a shower uh, on the wall there. But you, if you get it a lot, if there's a lot of it in the air, um, yeah. So I'm really susceptible to that. When I was teaching as a monk, particularly in, in Asia, you know, I had to be really careful about, you know, because of the humidity and all of that, I had to check each room and say, well, I can't work in that room because actually there's too much mold. There's been too much damp in that. Yeah. So that's what I would... Uh, I would check, but I also think that that's the systemic element of um, coaching supervision. Yeah, the toxic environment. Do you really want to put yourself in an environment where there's toxins? You know, and how do you recognise that? You know, in some ways, I've been fortunate through the black mold to recognise toxins. You know, so and how it affects my body. A lot of people don't know what it. You know, how it does that. But you can apply the same thing into a culture as well. How can you sense into a culture? And see, is it toxic? You know, is it actually supporting me or not? You know, and uh, that that's a trick. That's a tricky situation, especially when you're an internal coach in a company. You know, you know, particularly when we're doing you know agile transformations and that type of stuff. What is the culture? You know, is it is it breeding? You know, is it making things good or is it actually you know killing you basically? Wow, I had no idea that mold could be so harmful to a human being. Yes. Showing my ignorance again. I love the metaphor of the business as well. But I don't want this to end this conversation. I want to carry on this forever. But unfortunately, we can't. We have to, we have to move on. I have one last question for you. Yep. In this coaching gig, you have your backpack packed, and we know what's not in it. But where do you hope you are or are not going? My answer to that question is where I've always been going and where I've always recognised, which is home, uh, not the physical home. Uh, and I don't want to use the spiritual word either, but there's a sense of um, maybe the word is inner contentment or uh, awareness or knowing. And that's been my guiding force. And I've never deviated from that. Once it became clear to me, I've never I've not moved away from that. I, I sometimes find it a powerful, really powerful concept, you know, uh, you know, idea, but in actually living from that place and that's all that's all i've ever focused on as a monk and now in in whatever role i am doing and it's to uh, check that one is still in that direction it it's interesting it's what's come up right now so i'm going to say it because it, that's what's arisen but the origin of sin is actually the same thing i just thought about it now which is to be sin the origins of the word sin is to be off mark off center it's not about doing things wrong or bad it's just knowing are you are you at center are you at peace with yourself yeah and what do you need to do to bring you back to center and that's in a way what i mean if you're going to our to off i'm not talking about um morality here i'm talking about ethics or a way of living or you mm. know what um what the word that comes to mind is moderation how do you moderate your behavior what do you choose to do for the well-being of yourself and the well-being of others you know and it's particularly prevalent at this time you know and that's also part of coaching supervision how do you explore that these ethical situations where you stay true to yourself 
and true to your your piece really hmm and i was thinking of congruence when you were saying about this so so not having congruence is a sin in effect yeah that's a beautiful way of describing it as well yeah congruence that's exactly it and it's congruence not just with yourself but all the way through congruence completely with all systems so it's completely mm. whole like a stick of rock like a stick of rock at brighton <laughs> <laughs> and then you can eat it well this has been so enlightening and so much fun <laughs> if people want to know more about amaranato and the playful monk where can they go they can find me on my website, uh, playfulmonk.net, or they can find me through LinkedIn. I'm, a, I'm very active on LinkedIn through Amaranato, A-M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-O. Brilliant. Well, Amaranato, thank you so much for being a guest on The Coach's Backpack. Yeah, thank you, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for joining us on this episode of The Coach's Backpack. If you would like extra goodies, such as free tools, offers, further info about our guests, and maybe even the odd peek inside their actual backpack, sign up to our mailing list at thecoachesbackpack.com. And don't forget to follow the podcast. See you next time. <laughs>